Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to the first episode of Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On this podcast, we don't just talk about nice Jewish girls. We talk about the Jewish women who are redefining stereotypes and breaking boundaries. More than anything, though, we explore what it means to be a Jewish woman. Strong, smart, confident, and really cool. And honestly, that was something that took me a long time to figure out for myself. I'm a Sephardi, Ashkenazi, Mizrahi, hybrid Jew who grew up on Long Island, where my Judaism was always pushed to the background. Assimilated as I may have been, I did manage to internalize a stereotype or two. I always saw myself as all of the things a Jewish woman had to change about herself. Too loud, too big, too nosy, no pun intended. It wasn't until I came to college that I finally realized the depth of Jewish culture and the incredible legacy of Jewish women. On Nice Jewish Girls, we sit down with women from all over the world to learn about their lives, their history, and their work. I am so excited to share the incredible stories of these women with you all and for us to learn from those making history today. For our first episode, I spoke with Stephanie Butnick, deputy editor at Tablet Magazine and co-host of the Unorthodox podcast. We'll get into her resume in the podcast itself. But the reason I was so excited to speak to Stephanie and the reason why she's our first guest is that for almost six years, Stephanie has been shaping the Jewish community through her work on Unorthodox. She's a pioneer of Jewish podcasting and she set so much of the groundwork for this show. I wanted to hear what it was like to work on this huge project as the only woman in the room, especially in a field like media, where gender dynamics have historically left women on the sidelines. As I am finding my voice as a proud Jewish woman and a proud podcast host, I am excited to be learning from the best. Just like me, Stephanie grew up on Long Island where she was a self-proclaimed Jew by osmosis. That's to say a cultural Jew with plenty of bagels and locks to show for it. Being from New York, she never grew up being the only Jew in the room. She was used to being connected to other Jews around her. Once she left home for college in North Carolina and was isolated from the Jewish community she was raised in, she realized how much value there was in it, which started a path she's been on since then. Stephanie Butnick is an incredible woman and her story is one worth learning from. Let's do this thing. Stephanie Butnick is one of the co-hosts of Unorthodox, the most popular Jewish podcast on iTunes. Stephanie is the deputy editor of Tablet and has written for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. She has a bachelor's degree in religion from Duke and a master's in religious studies from NYU. She lives in New York with her husband and their cat, Cat Stevens. It is a pleasure to be here with you, Julia, and an honor. It's it's such an honor to be here with you, and it's very intimidating for me to be talking with the the co-host of Unorthodox, which is one of my favorite podcasts and one of the most popular podcasts in the Jewish community. So thank you for taking the time for coming and speaking with us. I am happy to be here. I'm also happy because like I don't have to do any of the work, right? Like you have the questions. <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna say. Like I'm I'm like on I'm on edge a little bit, but I'm also very relaxed. So thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. Um, So just to start off, can you tell us a bit about your background growing up as a Jewish woman? What role did Judaism play in your life? Kind of how did you get to where you are today? 
That is a great question. And it's honestly not something I think about that often. So it's it's nice to sort of have to take stock. I was born on Long Island uh, in the town of Great Neck, which is a very, very heavily Jewish suburb of Long Island, of outside New York City. And, you know, I was raised, I would say we went to a conservative synagogue, but we were sort of like, you do the, the high holidays, you do, you know, you do the big Passover Seder, you do all that stuff. But for me, I wasn't like particularly religious, but I was in such a Jewish environment on purpose, right? You know, like that was something that was appealing to my parents because my mother always grew up being one of very, very few Jews. She moved around a bunch when she was younger. And so she really wanted to raise us in a place where we would not be a minority. And so, in fact, we were the real majority in Great Neck. Um, I don't know what the numbers were, but I remember being like, there was like the Catholic girl in our class in in high school, which I know is not the norm in pretty much anywhere else. So um, it was definitely a very, very particular environment. So I definitely felt very Jewish because you know, most of the people I was friends with were Jewish. A lot of them were Iranian-American. They were Persian Jews. So I had sort of that taste, specifically the taste, right? Like we had great Persian food all the time in my friend's house. So I was really, really exposed early to both Ashkenazi and non-Ashkenazi Jews, right? Jews who were not from Eastern Europe. So um, that's sort of the best way to describe my upbringing, like not being particularly religious, but being around in, in a very Jewish environment. And then I went to college in North Carolina and quickly learned that the environment in which I had grown up was not was very atypical um, and Jews are not a majority everywhere they go. And so I got really, really interested in all the ways in which my childhood had almost unbeknownst to me been shaped by the place in which I was raised. And so I became um, I became a religion major, um, which confused my parents a little bit, but really was my way of trying to dig into the forces that control so much of our lives without us even realizing it. And so immersing myself in such a non-Jewish university environment, I really wanted to like get down to business and see this academic side of religion. Yeah, so much of that I'm going to want to get into. But one thing that I thought was so interesting, I'm also from Long Island. I'm from Dix Hills. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> very so you Jewish get it. As well. <laughs> I to- but, yeah, exactly. So when you're speaking about your upbringing, coming from a place where kind of how my family described it was we were high holiday Jews. Like we'd go on, you know, Yom Kippur and that would be about it. Um, but it's like but then you're when Jewish I went, by yeah. osmosis, right? Because it seems like everyone else, there's a bunch of bagel places, there's the deli, like that all just exists. And you don't realize that there are ple- people in places who don't have a kosher deli readily accessible to them. We had like 17, I feel like. Yeah, that's actually something I want to talk to you about because listening to Unorthodox, um, that's something that you guys talk about a lot, I, I think, on the podcast, this idea of kind of being a New York Jew, where New York culture is so heavily impacted by Judaism, and Judaism in New York is so heavily impacted by being in New York. So this idea of Jewish culture becoming more universalized, of people who might not be Jewish, I mean, I know for me growing up and going to school in Long Island, people would be saying like Yiddish words, (laughs) and they wouldn't even be Jewish. They'd say, oh, this is, you know, kind of my shtick, and they'd be in science class with someone who's not Jewish. And it's kind of just universalizing of of Jewish culture. Did you experience that a lot when you were growing up on Long Island? Is that something that you you see in your day-to-day in New York today? What are your thoughts? I mean, to me, so much of my present life, my professional and personal life, is just me trying to figure out all the things that happened when I was growing up that I didn't even think about. Like, to have four bar or bat mitzvahs in a weekend, like, right, you did the service, then there was a lunch party, then there was a thing, and then yeah. maybe there was something <laughs> on Sunday. And, like, that was my social life for a year and a half in middle school. And then, of course, that's not the case for so many people. And so I think what I've been trying to do, you know, we get accused a lot on the show. They say, oh, we're too New York-centric. I mean, I'm so I'm from New York, the suburbs, um, and I live in Manhattan now. My co-host, Leah Leibowitz, is from um, Herzl Israel, and he came to the United States about 20 years ago and is raising his family here and speaks 
very like on nearly unaccented English. We only we sometimes make fun of him when like his Hebrew accent comes out on these like random words. He said like instead of mosaic, he said mosaic. <laughs> and then our third co-host, Mark Oppenheimer, he grew up in Western Massachusetts and now lives in New Haven. And so, yes, we're all like northeastern based Jews. But we have a lot of diversity within, like, we don't agree on anything, right? Like, we fight, we we dis- respectfully disagree a lot. And so <laughs> what I think we try to do on the show is, you know, we're the three hosts, right? Like, I can't help where I'm from. I can't help the experiences I've had. But I can try to show you other experiences, too. And so I think that we do sort of try to, to thread this needle of showing a broad Jewish experience while acknowledging that, like, um, this is where we're recording from. We eat a lot of bagels, you know, like that sort of I went to Zabar's today before we recorded this. Like I'm a Jewish I'm a walking Jewish stereotype. <laughs> but that's something that I really connected to when I'm listening to your podcast. You know, my my mom's family is from Israel. Similarly to Liel, like my grandma says ca- instead of caffeine, she says caffeine, like those little things because she oh, moved here when that. she was a teenager. So kind of her accent pops out in really like personal and endearing ways to my family. So one thing that I've loved about the podcast is that it has a lot of connection to culture that I found really relevant to my life, like being from New York, but having that Israeli influence. And so one thing I was wondering is, was that intentional? Were you guys looking to have that kind of diversity of experience and representation? Or was that something that just kind of came authentically from your dynamic between the co-hosts? I will say that nothing about the show was on purpose. Um, (laughs) The show started in August of 2015, which is crazy to me. And Mark, you know, we all worked together at Tablet Magazine. We had these weekly story meetings where the staff sits around and talks about what's going on in the world, who should write what, what holidays are coming up. And Mark sort of said, you know, podcasts are booming. Why don't we do a show that's just sort of like the conversations we're having in the office? Because like maybe those are the conversations that people are either having at home, having around their Shabbat tables, at their youth groups, at their synagogues, or not at any of those places, right? Or interested in having those conversations or scared of having those conversations. So he sort of said, you know, maybe we should just do this for the public, right? And see if people want to listen in. Of course, Liel and I immediately were like, that's a terrible idea. Who wants to listen to us just like babble on and like, (laughs) you know, but, you know, surprisingly to me, still to this day, people really listened, right? They heard an honest, authentic Jewish conversation that was proud to be Jewish and that was fun. And I think those to me, like Jewish pride and fun and like not being serious, not being like, oh, the high holiday, like actually showing that Jewish culture is fun and vibrant and looks different to everyone, right? Like all of these ways in which people are Jewish today are important and are valid. And we have this weird intimate way to show them to you right because we're in your little earbuds and you're not reading an article that people are like screaming about on twitter you don't watch tv like we're in your ears and so there's something that was really intimate about that connection and i think that's why there are so many now there's a ton of jewish i mean there were jewish podcasts before us obviously but i love we're sort of in this renaissance of jews talking i think jews talking to other jews and non-jews yeah i mean jews talking it's kind of our favorite pastime (laughs) (laughs) i can't stop it's just natural that we make a podcast at this point because we like to talk this much. Might as well share it with people. We've been <laughs> podcasting since, like, you know, the Hebrew Bible at this right? point, I feel like. <laughs> Unorthodox is fun to listen to. And one thing that you bring as the female voice is this really cool and empowering kind of tone to it. And it's really rewarding to listen to. So how has that been received and how is that dynamic broken down? You know, it's funny. I would say if you listen to like the first six months of the show, you would hear me maybe 10% of the time because I, you know, I started a tablet when I was, I think, 23. I was right out of grad school. I 
worked at the front desk as an editorial assistant and I've worked my way up to being the deputy editor. I just never left. Um, it's like a game of survivor. Like it outwitted and outlasted everyone, um, <laughs> which I love. And so now I'm um, the deputy editor and I really um, work closely with our editor-in-chief, Alana Newhouse, who's been a mentor to me. So I sort of came at this feeling like, okay, my two co-hosts are these guys. They're 10 years older than I am. They've both published books. They're so smart. Of course, none of that. I mean, they're smart, but like they're not. It took me a while. I was, sort of, I was very, I was nervous. And I thought, you know, what if I say something stupid? What if I say something that someone's going to be mean about? What if I make a factual error? And I really, it was hard for me to break into the conversation because they talk a lot. And so I had this really weird time where I was like, I think I'm doing okay at this. I'm, I was just so nervous every time we recorded. And this thing happened. We did um, a live show at Yale and we had a professor on the show and he, this was like in our first, I think it was like we were doing the show for like a few months at this point. And I don't know if someone wanted us to do a live show. But so I remember afterwards, he, he said to me, he said, you know, can I speak to you as though you were one of my students? And I was like, oh, OK. Like, you know, <laughs> up speak, whatever. Like, fry, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, OK, maybe. Sure. You're going to you want to talk to me? OK. And he said, I listened to the show in preparation for being a guest on it. And there are three hosts and two of them talk a lot and one of them barely talks at all. And he's like, and do you know which one you are? And I was like, the one that barely talks at all. Um, and he, he sort of pointed it out to me. And I was very, I remember that drive back from New Haven. I was really upset because I was just like embarrassed. I had been called out. I, I wasn't good. Like all the things that we, I think particularly as young women, I, at, at this point I was a young woman. <laughs> this was like seven years ago. Um, but, you know, I had internalized all of these things. And actually what I realized was he's right. I don't talk a lot. And so what I did was I went to my co-host and I said, you guys have to let me talk more. You guys have to like p slow down. Let me be part of the conversation. And they were like, no, you need to break into the conversation. We're not going to change our cadence to accommodate you. You you should be talking as much as we are. And so the joke is now I have not stopped talking since. And I talk all the time. I interrupt everyone. I'm so like I, I have my, my speech patterns have completely changed. But for me, it was a really important professional lesson of the value of assertiveness, right? Yeah. I think I had said, I'm scared. I'm not smart. And I'm like, I say I say stuff that's wrong all the time. First of all, it can get edited out. Second of all, so do my co-hosts. Third of all, everyone does. I mean, there was this idea where I really had to put myself out there and no one made it easy for me. And so what ended up happening was I got this really valuable lesson early on in my career because at that point I had been a tablet for a few years and I was suddenly becoming a much more I think assertive is the right word. I would always say aggressive. And my therapist would say, you mean assertive? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's a real lesson for me. And I've talked to a lot of young female listeners about this. They, they, they're the ones who come up to me after our live shows and say, like, I've really been, I, not that I'm doing anything particularly amazing, but like people have said, like, you know, I notice that you talk more and like, it's made me want to talk more. It's made me realize that I, my voice is as valid as whatever men around me are, are saying. And I think for me, if that's something that can be like useful or, um, something that someone can mirror, I think it's been, it's all been worth it for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you're talking about is something that I've definitely experienced a lot in my life. And I'm sure any woman who's listening to this has also experienced that feeling of if I'm being assertive, that's going to be seen as aggressive. Yeah. But if a man is as assertive as I am, he's going to be seen as, oh, wow, intelligent, smart, all so these smart. great things. Yeah. And then when brilliant, we... <laughs> a genius. Yeah. And kind of eccentric. <laughs> Women only speak when we're so, so, so certain of what we have to say. We only ask a question when we are so, so certain that it's going to be perceived as smart. Men do not have that concern. They say whatever comes to their minds. And I I think that you see it 
like beginning at an academic level and then going into the professional world and especially in media and journalism, a field where like historically has been very male dominated, it's really empowering for young women to see um, other women breaking that stereotype and being as assertive and smart and confident and strong as men are. Well, it is so funny. I remember being in class and being like, I have the most brilliant thought and it is fully formed. And oh, wait, I waited too long to raise my hand and we are on a different topic now. And so actually you can't say it, but I do think there's a lot that we can learn. I mean, it's particularly in the Jewish communal world too. I mean, there's a ton of women who are doing these amazing, I mean, men too. It's really, I'm not (laughs) trying to generalize too much, but I think that these things happen in all sorts of arenas, all sorts of fields. And what I love to see is sort of the young women in the Jewish world who are just like taking this on and making their own thing and just starting their own projects and their own companies. And you're just it's it's really inspiring to me because, you know, I don't know that I thought that that was possible necessarily. Like, I'm happy with this role I have at a, on a podcast where I'm the female voice. It is a lot of pressure sometimes. You know, sometimes people will write me and be like, you should have pushed back more when they said this thing. And I was like, it's not my job to babysit my co-hosts. They're adults. They're more adult than I am. They are literally older than I am. So this idea that, like, people do think that women are supposed to not police necessarily, but monitor. Like, that thing that he said was a little misogynistic. And I was like... First of all, that's your opinion. Second of all, that's his word. Like who, who, it's just, I think we do still put this burden on ourselves and on other women to act a certain way. I mean, I also have gotten emails, you know, every woman who does anything in the public space has gotten the email. Someone wrote in saying that I seem like I'm smart, but I say like so much. And I've spent so much of my life thinking about the word like and what does it make me sound stupid and now I say it all the time because actually that's how I speak and I know I'm smart and I know that what I'm saying is smart and so if I pepper it with a few likes yeah first of all I think that makes me sound a little bit more relatable but also that's who I'm not going to not do that because someone wrote in but because this obviously man wrote in and said that I just started I doubled down on it and I think I read the letter on air and said this letter is going to make me like in response to this letter I will I will commit to saying like as much as I want, more than I did before. And I love that. And I think being from Long Island, that's kind of how we speak. And it also goes along with this stereotype of the Jewish woman as the Jewish American princess, the kind of stereotype that is really misogynistic if we break it down. And I think that a lot of the stigma around saying like a lot is tied in with that stereotype. And so I like the idea of instead of trying to not say it, of saying, actually, I'm going to say like, and it's going to be like, awesome. And I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think it's so true. I mean, we did a whole episode about the Jewish American princess stereotype and what it means today. And it has its root in like anti-Semitism and misogyny, yeah. right? Because like, think about all the, this era of comedy that was like Jewish men making fun of their mothers and their wives. Yeah. And if we think about the Jewish wife, she's like lascivious, but withholding. She's like over sex, but doesn't want, like she, she's both things. How is she both things? Both things are not possible. Yeah. And I think that for Jewish men, putting women down was useful for yeah. them because then they were not, for once, the butt of the joke in what mid-century America. But then the Jewish women sort of like internalized it and turned it on each other in some weird way. And you know what? Like, it makes me want to carry a Prada backpack in solidarity (laughs) with my people, because that doesn't mean anything about me, right? That's like the things are not who we are, and that's okay. It took me a long time to learn that, honestly. Yeah, and I know for me, and I'm not sure if it's the same for you, but for me, it kind of took leaving Long Island to learn that and like going to college and not being around it all the time. Yeah, leaving Long Island. That'll be the title of your memoir. Yeah, leaving Long Island. (laughs) 
Um, to pivot for a quick second to, to college. So you were a religious studies major in North Carolina. How was that experience for you? So it's so interesting to me. So I went to Duke, which um, was founded as a Methodist university, but is you know non-denominational now. The chapel is like the main focal point of campus. And what I didn't realize at the time was the reason the religion department was so strong and why I could take all of these amazing like intro to Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, like take all these classes with great professors was because it was a school that really valued religion and felt that religion was something important and worth studying. And I, I didn't really think about it at the time. And then I continued on to grad school in religious studies at NYU, a joint program between the religious studies department and the journalism department. And when I got to NYU, it was a much more anthropological uh, department, right? So they were saying like, oh, the opiate of the masses. Why do all these people love religion? And it sort of was only until I got that different lens that I said, oh, at Duke, the, the underlying theme was like, religion's important and we should like value it and study it. Whereas NYU had this much more like cynical take on like, why do these people do these crazy things? It's funny, you don't learn the lessons of where you are until you go somewhere else. It's sort of like what you're saying about Long Island, right? Like you have to leave and experience something else to get any perspective on your initial surroundings. Absolutely. Um, and which of those two schools of thought do you think you connected with more? I loved the idea that Duke was a place that really valued the importance of religion in people's lives. I mean, I'm not a particularly religious person. It's funny when you work in a Jewish environment, I feel like I get off for like Rosh Hashanah and I'm like, oh, I'm done. I've been planning this holiday for like six months. What our content's going to be, what we're going to do, how we're going to like serve the people. I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to go to synagogue now? But so, so for me, that's been my own interesting spiritual journey. But, you know, I believe that religion is important to people. And I think that particularly Judaism, it's so funny, you know, because my friends who are Catholic say, like, there's no Catholic food, right? Like, there's no cultural Catholicism. You sort of are in or you're out. And and on our show, we have a Gentile, each, each week on Unorthodox, we have a Jewish guest and a Gentile of the week. And the Gentile of the week, we, you know, we joke, gets to ask us a question, a universally, whatever, renowned panel of experts, whatever we jokingly <laughs> call ourselves. And a lot of the questions we've gotten are like, if I grew up and stopped believing in Jesus, like, that was it for me. I didn't go, like, there was no place for me in church. There was no place for me in this religious world. And once I stopped believing, there was just no room for me. And the questions are all like, it doesn't seem like that's the same thing in Judaism. And so what we really get to explore a lot is just the ways, yeah, like atheist Jews, it's not a weird concept to me at all. But for a lot of Christians, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> you can like openly not believe in God and still be welcome in, in all of these spaces or still consider yourself more importantly, Jewish, deeply Jewish. Yeah. I, I mean, is that something that you've found too? I mean, that's sort of why people seem so connected to this culture. Yeah, and it's so interesting, too, because, like, I, like, personally grew up kind of secular, like, High Holiday Jew. I'm kind of connecting to it more now. Um, but I've always had, like, a tremendous amount of faith. And I have friends who might have grown up in an Orthodox tradition who might actually not believe in God, but it's a huge part of their lives. I don't think that there's this binary of you're either secular or you're religious in Judaism. It's really... Mm -hmm more than just religion it's this cultural component this ethnic component this language this food the holidays and traditions and i think that it's so much more complicated especially in like a modern conception of what's happening in the world and that's something that kind of attracted me to jewish studies was this i'd argue exogenous kind of tension between religion and modernity Ooh, and that's I, a good word what does that mean exogenous like kind of outwardly placed onto it <laughs> oh, I like that. It's Look one of this. my favorite. It's one of those words that I just like, love to slip into conversation because it sounds like fun, fancy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that Judaism is like the perfect religion to navigate that because 
We're this ancient religion that has a 70-year-old state, but also exists in like thriving communities in the diaspora. And we're kind of at the same time, both super ancient and having this renaissance right now. And how do you kind of see yourself in that conversation? How do you see like this relationship between the ancient and the modern when it comes to Judaism? Well, I think in this exogenous debate, yeah, did I use that, right? <laughs> did I use that word right? No, I think. Look, I think if you read the Bible, if you read the Talmud, like people, Jewish scholars have been wondering this thing, this the same question forever, right? The temple's gone. How are we going to tell our story? We're no longer a, a like a, a temple based religion. We don't go to this place. We don't congregate here. We don't bring sacrifices here. What do we do now? And so what you get out of that is like the Passover Haggadah, right? Like you get, we get to where we are based on the changes that we're experiencing in society. And so that's why I love these conversations, right? Because I think that we've been having them forever. So it's, I'm actually like very not worried about the, you know, everyone's like, oh, the unaffiliated, the young people. It's like, no, we've been trying to figure out what role Judaism plays in society, particularly for young and modernizing people forever. We've been having the debate over Zionism for a very long time. I mean, young people on both sides have been fighting it out. Like, this is not new. Yeah. And so that to me, it's a little depressing, but uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, rooting our current conversations in the historical landscape of just like Jews questioning and wondering and fighting and debating, I'm, I'm not that concerned because to me, like, think about the things we've talked about. Speech patterns that are, yes, geographic, but geographic and ethnic, right? Yeah. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. Jews have a way of speaking. And yes, it's maybe different in New York than it is in California. But like, I interrupt all the time. And, and there's um, Deborah Cannon is this linguist who says it's called cooperative overlapping. And there's a way that Jews speak that is different. Yeah. And I think it's because we're like used to being at these big Shabbat tables and like you have to yell to get a word in edgewise. You have to grab <laughs> the food to get a bite. Like, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. And so yeah. to me, like, I think the strength of Judaism is like, I don't know that there's a Catholic form of conversation. I hope there is. Right. Because that to me is something that keeps me grounded in Judaism, even as though I don't go to synagogue. I have Jewish conversations all day long. And so I feel validated and fulfilled and and heartened by this, right? Like you are starting a new show all about Jewish women. Like that's amazing. That's great. Thank I'm not worried about the future of like con Jewish continuity and synagogue membership because actually like people are going to listen to your podcast and feel that connection in a more modern way. They might still go to synagogue and there's no problem with it, but the fact that they don't doesn't necessarily mean like we're all doomed. Yeah. What do you I think? I totally agree. And I think that there's a renewed emphasis on the cultural part of Judaism right now, which I think like there, there is a thing we talked about in my one of my Jewish studies classes, which basically is like the three generation rule, which is that something horrible happens in the first generation, be it the Holocaust, the Farhud, whatever it is. Second generation says, okay, we're going to kind of separate ourselves from this. It was bad. It caused us to have a genocide and ethnic cleansing. We're not going to get involved with religion. And then the yeah. third generation says, oh my God, there's this beautiful culture, this beautiful religion, this beautiful history that I had no connection to because my family wanted to separate ourselves from it and I want to have a connection to it now. And I think that we're kind of experiencing this renaissance in the third generation right now where really bad things have happened and they're continuing to happen. But there is this young generation of Jews who are kind of in that third generation who realize that they really want to connect in a really powerful way to our Judaism. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now with all of the projects that are coming out. I think that's so true. I mean, third generation, like my dad's parents were Holocaust survivors and they did not want to talk about it after they came to 
New York and started their lives. And me and my cousins, we want to talk about it. And my grandparents passed away when I was um, really little. So I'm basically trying to track down their stories, as are so many other grandchildren. There's, there's these really great memoirs that are coming out. There's podcasts. There's all of this stuff because we're now taking the story and making it our own, right? Partially because our parents don't necessarily have the answers because their parents didn't want to talk about it. And yeah. if you're lucky enough to have a survivor grandparent who is alive when you're old enough to ask and have those conversations, it's really meaningful. But actually what I found is like I have much more agency over the story because I am piecing it together myself and I'm trying to figure out how to make sense of it myself. And so I think that three generation thing is exactly, exactly right. And I think I understand why like assimilating American Jews didn't want to be super Jewish. Yeah. And I understand why their kids or their grandkids are like, hey, I want that really Jewish last name back. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I want to name my kids Sai or like, no, I don't know what these old timey names were. But like, that's what's happening now. And I think that's amazing. And it's not, I think it can be free of judgment or and it's not like, oh, my parents' generation did it wrong. It's just, it's where you are in, in the world. And I'm so curious now because I think what we're seeing now is like the rise of anti-Semitism since Pittsburgh, at least the first in our lives and our in our conception of, of of America not being such like a warm and fuzzy place for Jews. And so I think it has the potential to turn people away as it once did. Right. To assimilate more. But I see so many people leaning into that conversation saying, no, no, no I'm going to be more Jewish. It's like the like. Right. It's like if you if you call me out for saying like, I'm going to say like more. If yeah. you're going to attack me for being a Jew, I'm going to be so much more in your face about it. That's something I've noticed a lot, too, that the rising anti-Semitism has reminded me of what I'm fighting for, because the second that your Judaism is kind of something people don't like about you, it's something that's under threat, or you see people who were killed in Pittsburgh because they have the same faith as you, you realize that this is something that people are quite literally dying for, people have been killed for. And it's something so important to protect because of how much, like almost the pushback you get for it makes you want to protect it more if that makes sense yeah i mean it's seeing that i think our our like peaceful happy thing is shattered right yeah. like we all thought america was this amazing place for for everyone and i think what we're realizing is like wait what like people are like throwing rocks through kosher pizza places like what year is this and so i think that I'm I'm curious. I mean, I hope it stops, but I think it has energized a new generation. I mean, you you can speak to it much better than I can because it's your generation, right? Like these people who are out on the streets, quite literally, and and online fighting for 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 just Jews to be safe for Jews to be Jews. Yeah, I think that kind of goes along with the modernity conversation that we're kind of defining our own future. I think historically Jews have really been working to define our own survival in spite of the terms others have put on us. And that's kind of where we are now. Yeah, in opposition to, yeah. to what people are saying about us, totally. And so my question for you is, where do you think women particularly fit in this role? I think there's this evolving social conception of, of what a woman's role is. And I think that's also impacting the conversation in Judaism. Where do you see us in this conversation? It's so funny. I feel like Jewish women have been at, and maybe I'm just massively generalizing, but like at the forefront of a lot of these movements, I mean, doing the sort of, I mean, forefront is probably the wrong word, but doing sort of like the behind the scenes work to get everyone organized, right? I mean, I think that I love, I love seeing like the Jewish women on TikTok and you're like, oh my God, you are a badass Jewish woman defending your friends from anti-Semitism yeah. on TikTok, which is a thing that like didn't exist. I don't know when it didn't, I mean, I, I know about it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a little bit cool. But, you know, like, you see all of these um, younger Jewish women saying, like, no, you're going to respect me as a woman and you're going to respect me as a Jew. Yeah. And I think that combination took a really long time for us to get to, right? If you look through the history of feminism, it's like we have all these Jewish women, you know, we have, like, our Betty for Dance and our Gloria Steinem's, but, like, 
they were women, right? Like they weren't necessarily fighting or could they, or could fight or felt they could fight or wanted to fight as Jewish women. And so what we're seeing now is like, is like, uh, no, go for it. Um, it's it's just Jewish women yeah. as Jewish as Jews and women, and as we sort of all start to think about the ways in which we all have different aspects of our identity and how everyone's identity is, you know, intersectional, yeah. right? So. To me, it's it's really interesting to see that at work within the Jewish community, right? Where Jewish women are saying, like, not only can I be a rabbi, which like wasn't a thing that happened, you know, the, uh, always. That was not always a thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be proudly Jewish and proudly feminist. And I think that, that is just the big, the big shift that's really exciting to me. One of my really, really good friends, her name is Sophie. She's on TikTok, like you'd mentioned. And her TikTok is called From Feminist. And she kind of talks about this intersection of being an Orthodox woman, which is a role that I think is left out of a lot of the feminist conversation. Yeah. And also being a feminist, also having this really strong female identity and those two things not being at odds, but actually complementing each other. And I never grew up in like a super religious circle, I, although I did, did grow up in a pretty Jewish circle. Um, And seeing women who are in the Orthodox community really embracing feminism and really showing, I think, the broader community that the generalizations that we make about women on every level are wrong. It's just been so eye-opening and so inspiring to see. And I love seeing women breaking those stereotypes in every turn. And it's just wonderful to watch. But it's so true, right? I mean, I'm guilty of at one point thinking, oh, like you wear a skirt, like you have to cover up. That's like modesty must mean X, Y, and Z. Or you cover your hair because your husband, like actually there are all sorts of reasons that women do all sorts of things. And I think that that conversation has widened. And first, actually... Other Jewish women need to understand that, right? Like there needs to be a space for for more observant mm-hmm. Jewish women to feel like they're part of the the wider Jewish female conversation. And only then can we expect non-Jews to understand, yeah. right? And to not put on all of these societal thoughts about Orthodox women, like, oh, you have a lot of kids. I mean, it's it's really interesting the way in which within Judaism we are very stratified. And we say, Oh, you do this, I'm I don't do that. Or you're yeah. you're too religious, you're not religious enough, you don't eat keep kosher, you keep kosher. I mean, there's so many ways in which all Jews judge each other. It's crazy. We need to ban, like, we need to kind of get on the same team. Yeah. If everyone's coming after us, they don't care how, how kosher, you know, whether you eat, like, in a restaurant, would you do it, would yeah. you take out, <laughs> do you shrimp on paper plates? No one cares about that when they're, you know, when they're coming for us. And not to be, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't feel like they're coming. I mean, it kind of feels like they're coming for us. It kind of does feel like they're coming for us. I can definitely relate to that sentiment. Um, And I'm totally with you. I think that it's really not like those things are kind of at least I see them as extremely personal. My decision whether or not I'm going to like eat kosher food is is my decision. But my community is far more broad than that. And when I'm looking at anti-Semitism, just like you said, obviously the Orthodox community is the most visibly Jewish. Yeah. And so they're going to be the first targets. Totally. But if we think that they're going to stop with the Orthodox community and not care about the rest of us, that's just untrue. And we, we owe it to ourselves and our community to defend each other equally. It's so funny we like have this conversation. Of course, what it means to look Jewish means nothing, right? Anyone is Jews are everyone and yeah. everyone <laughs> are Jews. And so you can look like anything. But if you do think about like I think I look very Jewish because I can see myself in the mirror, but I'm not necessarily someone who's gonna be in a kosher like the it's true, the people who are for several years now have been violently attacked are the people who are visibly Jewish, right? The men like mm-hmm. and that's so so I do think that like from feminists, right, that 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 perspective is even more important, right? Because if you're actually bearing the burden of like the physical world, knowing that you're Jewish, whereas like I'm not wearing anything that says like I'm a 
I'm a big Jew, so come after me. I mean, yeah. I think that there's there's a, a level of security there, which is kind of messed up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of why these divisions are just going to hurt more than they help. I, I, I see a lot of activists online talking about how we really have to stand up for the Orthodox community because they're going to be the first people who are threatened. And they've been saying this for years. And now that it's happening, it's like all over the media, people are saying, how did this happen? How is this rise of anti-Semitism happening? And it's like, we, we, we know how it's, it's happening. out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, so I've been at Tablet for quite some time now. And yeah, we were watching it. It was first in Borough yeah. Park. And, you know, oh, is this happening? And this and one and two and three. And then you're like, oh, no, if you actually are paying attention, this has been going on for for quite a bit and yes what's going on in israel is always going to sort of up up the ante turn up the temperature here in many ways but it's not like it wasn't happening before this is depressing yeah yeah (sighs) to to shift a bit from the depressing conversation i want to talk about tablet for a second so not only are you like the female voice at unorthodox but you're also a female editor at tablet how is that dynamic how is it because i know kind of growing up i did an internship with um, a media company that focused on women in media. And one big focus was how the field was historically super, super male dominated. And only in the past few decades has that kind of been shifting. So how have you kind of seen that shift in your time at Tablet? Um, and how do you see yourself as a part of that conversation? It's so funny to me because I've, I've been part of these conversations. I've been asked these questions. Tablet was founded by a woman, but yeah. founded by Alana Newhouse, who is an incredible amazing, brilliant, genius woman. And she runs this magazine and I'm her deputy. And there are lots of women that we work with. So it's so funny. I mean, I think that it's definitely an atypical experience, but Mm -hmm. I can sort of say like, I talk to my boss about everything. Like she's like one of my closest friends and I have a very lucky situation, right? Where I can really look up to and admire and have, you know, at hand, a really strong female mentor who has helped me Again, become more assertive, ask for what I need as an employee, manage. She's given me teams to manage. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I probably manage, if I think about it, more men than women. Um, <laughs> I think representation is really, really important, particularly within Jewish media, of all these types of Jews that we're talking mm-hmm. about and, and in the wider media. So I think, yes, the more women that are at the top of newsrooms, the more diverse editors we have I think that's all really really good and so I think we're moving in this direction I it's hard for me because I'm not like oh these sexist things happened to me when I was coming up you know in the biz it it just didn't happen to me um I think for a few reasons one having a really strong female leader who sets the sets the tone sets the climate but also being at a small magazine right we're not that many people and we serve a specific community so my colleagues and I were more like a kind of like a family in some weird way because we we're all we're all this is mission based right like we're not here for like the glory we're here because we think actually telling the stories of jews mirroring their lives back to them showing them the diversity of jewish life that's important also we're not we're digital so it's not like i'm fighting for space on a newspaper page with six other people and i have to be cutthroat to get my you know column up there it's we sort of have unlimited space for unlimited voices which i really think is, is is special yeah and i think that role of female mentorship is so important that's one thing that i've always been really empowered by and I hope one day to do for younger women to be that voice that other women can look up to and to kind of pave the way and I think that's one thing that I got a lot from from unorthodox and I'm sure lots of people get, get too is hearing that strong female voice in this space and that's something I hope we kind of can explore on this podcast more um one thing that you mentioned was the importance of representation is that something that you guys do intentionally at tablet or that kind of just happened naturally well it's so funny because you know we hear on the podcast so we have two guests a week probably 50 shows a year. (laughs) Some of them are special episodes. 
people are like, you need to have this type of person. You need to have this. You have to have more of this person. Yeah. That to me is not how to do it. To me, I'm always looking for really interesting guests, right? And trying to showcase different viewpoints. With the past year, I mean, we've been able to get guests from all over. It used to be like you had to come to New York, be in our studio. So that really limits your guests to mostly people who are in the tri-state yeah. area or who can like get in a studio in L.A. or Chicago. Now we're, you know, now with, you're, we're doing it right now, yeah. right? Like I, it doesn't matter where we are. And so that's really expanded our geographic reach and has just made the show more diverse. I mean, it's hard. It's like I'm not trying to tick boxes with yeah. guests. I think that's not the way to program. But what it is, you know, what I'm trying to do is keep an eye out for, like, what's going on in the wider Jewish world. By the way, only half of those guests are Jews, right? Because we have a Gentile and Jewish <laughs> guest each week. So we do it as best we yeah. can without being like, we haven't had um, an Orthodox male Jewish guest from Australia recently. Like, that's just, to me, not a good way to produce a show that's interesting for people. So I think what we try to do is do it a little bit more organically, where someone will say, like, hey, there's this really cool person in my community doing this cool thing. Maybe you guys want to talk to yeah. them. Jews are very interesting people. I think we always have something fun happening to talk about. And it's great to have a podcast, a newspaper, a magazine, a platform where these stories that would otherwise kind of stay in the community and like, oh, this cool person's doing this thing. We all have access to those now. And it kind of makes, you know, like kind of like you mentioned earlier on in the conversation, there are regional differences between Jewish communities, but there's the overall Jewish culture. And it kind of creates this, converging of the diaspora through I guess virtual means where because we're in a, a landscape where we're coming out of the pandemic um we really navigated to being online we have access to seeing things that we never would have been able to see in communities we never would have been able to reach and I think that that's been a new focus in the Jewish world that's been really cool to see totally and also just accessibility more broadly I think has been a really positive byproduct of a terrible pandemic yeah. right i mean we see all the ways in which oh if you couldn't get to synagogue you missed the services oh no actually we can bring the services to you for whatever if for whatever reason you can't you're you're homebound in any yeah. way i mean i think that it's broken a lot of like the taboos mm -hmm. we had which is like oh no zoom services everything it's like no we can make accommodations it's yeah. hard sometimes but you can do it we can change and i think again it's the conversation about modernity yeah. right like a synagogue who two years ago would have said like a camera in the in the sanctuary oh my god but like they do it now and they have more people there because yeah. of it it's 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 exciting to see where we're going and i hope that this progress continues because it's it's a great time to be a jew for better or for worse it's a good time to be a jew That's true. um one last question before we we head out and that is so one thing that i we talked about in this conversation was the idea of female mentorship. And I hope that through this podcast, girls that are listening, young girls, everyone who's listening, but particularly young girls who are listening, can feel like they have access to mentors, even if they never met them before, have access to kind of that big sister advice. So what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your younger sister navigating the Jewish world as a woman? What's one thing you'd want her to know? I mean, something I wish I knew was sort of not to be afraid to be myself, because actually who I am on the show is like, a very specific, it's a somewhat caricatured version yeah. of myself, but it's someone who's from Long Island. And I, you know, like I, I, I leaned into all these parts of my identity that I think at one point I was like, nope, don't, no, don't have an accent. Like be very, you know, sort of don't take up too much space, be just like professional and don't be too funny. Like don't do too much. And so I think that I was so busy, particularly Tabitha, like trying to prove myself as like, I'm smart. I can do all the things you want me to do. And like, I'm not this like flighty girl. Like I had all these ideas in my head of what maybe people thought about me, which 
no one actually thought about me. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, it was all in my head. And so I think what I would say to people is, you know, when I read cover letters for our fellowship program or for our internship or when I read pitches, it's like, I want to know the things about you that make you unique, that are probably the things that you're embarrassed by, right? Like the things that you're like, I need to be as like bland, vanilla. If I'm applying for this job, I need to be professional. It's like, no, put that weird skill you have because I want to talk to you about that. That's the one, you know, if I'm reading resumes all day long and you have like this one random thing that you are obsessed with on your resume that you think maybe is silly or that's what I'm going to ask you about. And that's what I'm going to remember about you. And so I think that just the way in which young women are, a lot of the times professionally putting their individuality to the side for the sake of a team or for the sake of like, I don't know why we do it. I just would say stop doing that because that's what's going to make an impression with the people who interview, the people who work with you, the people who manage you. Like, I want to know those fun things about you. Stephanie, that's great advice. It's something that I think I'm working on a lot in my life. And I think any woman kind of growing up right now is working on as well. So I really appreciate it. And I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been so wonderful to have you. If you haven't listened to Unorthodox, please give it a listen on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you stream your podcasts. Um, Stephanie, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. And thank you for thinking I'm a nice Jewish girl. You definitely are. Thank you for coming and speaking <laughs> with us. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Thank, thank you so you. much. I hope you all loved hearing from Stephanie as much as I did. It was so incredible to speak with her, and I left the conversation feeling a newfound sense of security in, well, being insecure about my Jewish identity, as odd as that sounds. She talked so much about how Jewish identity isn't static, it's, it's personal, and that's something that has really resonated with me. Because Stephanie Butnick is so much more than a nice Jewish girl. She's a woman who has embraced the pieces of our culture that like totally have like traditionally been used like against us. Stephanie and I both grew up as high holiday Jews on Long Island before studying religion in college and going into the Jewish professional world. So speaking with her honestly felt like speaking to a cousin at Shabbat dinner, natural, exciting, and super relatable. As you heard in her voice and in her words, Stephanie has realized the strength that comes from her culture. Instead of rejecting the stereotypes of a Long Island Jew or a Jewish woman, she's embraced them. She's found comfort in all of the pieces of her identity on her own terms, religiously, culturally, and well, Jewishly. That's something I find particularly impactful because I've struggled with this myself. Too secular for religious Jews, too religious for secular Jews, too Sephardi for Ashkenazi Jews, too Ashkenazi for Sephardi Jews. And I think it's something we can all find really relatable. The internal struggle within our own identities. It's an uncomfortable place to be. But Stephanie's story reminds us all that being Jewish doesn't mean settling on anybody else's terms. It means embracing your path and your story. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I'd love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other nice Jewish girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. And join us next week when we'll be speaking with Keshet Starr, a lawyer, a marriage equality activist, and a leader in the fight against the Agunot crisis. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related, 
and subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked on all of the social media platforms like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.